of our guidelines to help this be a place that is um, safe and that people feel like they belong. Um, Like we've said a bunch of times today, we love you. We're thrilled that you would join us. Um, And like I said, we want this place to be um, a space where you enjoy genuine um, community. So with that being said, all of that being said, really fun stuff, right? Yeah, everybody wants to talk about guidelines. But we're going to invite Anthony up to the front. He's going to read our our text in Philippians chapter 3. Give Anthony a hand as he comes. Let's stand. Shout out to Anthony's friends. All right, let's stand together as we read Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Okay. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Um, Their stomach, wait no. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on the earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, we transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Awesome. Thanks, Anthony. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Something that's amazing that's also, that just reminds me, I was just reminded of, is this Sunday, um, we have a combined outdoor gathering, downtown campus, Shehala's campus at 10 a.m. outside, and we are also baptizing 30 people, 32 people in water, and Carson Smith is one of those people, and so we are super, super pumped about that. And so if you are thinking about coming to that outdoor gathering, we would encourage you to do so. There's going to be a lunch provided and we get to celebrate 32 people going public with their faith through water baptism. And it'd be sick if we could just cheer Carson on. Okay. uh, Thanks, Anthony, for reading that text. If we were just to read that passage kind of over and over again, maybe five or six times, we would get a general main thought of this text. And so I want to share that with you. I think it's this, surround yourself with people who strive to be more like Jesus and remember to whom you belong. So if we were to recap uh, last week, you might remember the big idea from the text that we discussed. It was this, we never arrive at full knowledge or understanding of God. As Christians, our pursuit of becoming more like Christ never ends. So as we taught through chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, we saw that the Apostle Paul greatly emphasized the importance of not believing that you have arrived in your faith. Never to have the mindset that you are done learning, that you are done growing, or becoming more like Christ. And he said to forget the past and push onward to the future. And I read this quote to help kind of further um, uh, kind of concrete this in our mind said, forgetting did not mean obliterating the memory of the past, but a conscious refusal to let them absorb his attention and impede his progress. He's talking about Paul here. He never allowed his Jewish heritage nor his previous Christian achievements to obstruct his running of the race. No present achievement could lull him into thinking he already possessed all Christ desired for him. And so the goal was to know God in a personal way. 
and to become more like him. And his past was not going to hinder that from happening. And he begins, verse 17, instructing the church on how they can grow in their relationship with God. Anthony just read it, but let's read it, read it again. Join together in following my example. It says, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So it's easy for us to read this verse and kind of uh, see Paul as being arrogant. But what if he is offering guidance on how to live a life of growth? What if it's, it's less about like, look at me because I'm so amazing, but maybe he's thinking or teaching this church in Philippi that's like, look to this example, look to me as I follow Christ. And I want to ask you guys, I want you guys to answer this question. When there's a problem with your math homework, whom do you ask for help? Uh, Google, what are some other things? I've never thought about asking Google about a math problem. I've literally never thought of that. Granted, I never have to answer math problems. Okay, what are some other ones? Photo math, what is that? Oh, shows you how to get the, get the answer. That's good. Yeah, what are some other ways? Alexa, Joey. The teacher, anybody over here, when you have a, a math problem, what do you, who do you ask for help? Yeah. Okay, photo math again. Your parents, that's another, all of these, I'm sorry, I got two more questions you might have an opportunity to answer. Okay, so uh, when you need relationship advice, whom do you ask for advice or guidance? <clears throat> yeah, go for it, Anna. Right, whatever your yeah, asking advice on, yeah. Okay, there you go. That's all right. Your great-grandma, that's a great answer. Yes. You ask God, that's a great answer too. Yeah, Kyan. Shout out to you, man. Shout out to you. Yes, uh, one of either of you. Jesse? There you go. All right, Hunter. <clears throat> Luis. Where's Luis? He was just here. Where is he? Oh, he just walked out. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to give you a little bit of, like, this is some life advice. Don't always ask your friend and your peer, okay? Because they don't typically know more than you. Um, okay, when you want to improve a skill, who do you ask for help? Yeah, just shout it out. The people who teach you the skill. Yeah. Your mom. Shout out to the moms. Anybody else? Yeah, go for it, dude. Yeah, shout out to the dads, man. So I just, the reason I ask, and I, I take like three minutes to ask those questions, because this is essentially what's going on in this passage. This church is a young church filled with Jewish and non-Jewish Christians from different religious backgrounds. This church, like most churches, is filled with people who have left a previous life to begin to follow Jesus and are trying to live their best um, to live in such a way that honors the Lord. And so as you are on this journey, Paul says, follow us 
as who as we are further along in our faith journey. I think it was Anna who said that. Like, I want to ask someone's advice that has already been through that situation, maybe been through that situation in a healthy and productive way. And that's what Paul is saying. He's like, we have been following Jesus longer than you, and so let's fo- follow our example. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is writing to a church in Corinth um, that's working through some significant issues. And in in his wisdom, um, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he encourages the church with this. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So what Paul is getting at is the importance of having people you can look, um, having people in your life that you can look up to. People that have lived more life than you. People have, that have wisdom that exceeds your own. Spiritually mature people that you can look to their example of how to follow Jesus faithfully. And a great example of this would be your youth leader, your small group leader. They might not be perfect, uh, plot twist, they're not perfect. They will make mistakes, but they are people that you can look to for answers, for guidance, and for wisdom. So Paul will will now transition again to the fact that there are people who are actively working against the work of Jesus. He describes them as enemies of the cross, verses 18 through 19. He says, For, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is is set on earthly things. So the, the people Paul describes in these verses are m- most likely one of two groups, potentially both. Um, some believers, uh, or some believe he references either the Judaizers or a group of people viewed as antinomians. This is a new word for me, so I had to practice it a bunch. Antinomians. So the Judaizers were Jews who converted to following Jesus but also believed that for a Christian to be made entirely right with God, they must conform to the Mosaic law. So the term Judaizer comes from the Greek meaning to live according to Jewish customs. So another group, like I said, that Paul could be referencing is a group viewed as antinomians. Antinomians come from the Greek word anti and nomos, which is against Law. So these were people on the complete other end of the spectrum. They believed that when a person received salvation, experienced the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, they had no commitment to any moral law and they could do what they wanted. And actually, Paul addresses this issue in a letter to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. And there were people in this church who would be considered antinomians. He said this, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? One commentator described antinomianism as one of the greatest threats to the, to the doctrine of one being saved by grace alone. And the reason that it's a threat to that doctrine is it encourages people that because of grace, they have the freedom to, to sin because God's grace covers their sin. Instead, the knowledge that God has saved you from death because of your sin should cause us to want to live our lives in gratitude for what he has done. It should cause us to want to obey the commands of Jesus more. 
One writer put it this way, antinomianism is unbiblical in that it misapplies the meaning of God's gracious favor. So Paul's using very clear and straightforward language. He says that this way does not lead to heaven. He says that these people, their destiny is destruction. He says their God is their stomach, which he doesn't, he doesn't mean that they're, they're gluttons or anything. But what he means is that their desires are insatiable. Their desires will never be quenched. Just like our stomachs are satisfied when we eat a meal, when we eat a breakfast, a lunch, or a dinner, we're not hungry for a brief portion of time. But we all know that a couple hours after we eat, what happens? We're hungry again. And sometimes it feels like 20 minutes later, we're hungry again. What he's saying is that our stomachs are satisfied for a little while when we eat, but they will always be hungry again. Their fleshly desires will lead them away from God and they will lead them to destruction. And Paul actually addresses this same analogy of the stomach with the Corinthian church. Their local church was working through some pretty tough stuff and one of the things that they were working through was a lot of sexual immorality within their church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul addresses part of the sexual immorality that was present, prevalent and Christians in the city were partaking in. He says, I have the right to do anything. And he's quoting what they are telling him, you say. But not everything is beneficial, is his response. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And we talked about this last um, August in one of our sermon series. And so, um, But just to give you a little bit of context on this, of what is Paul talking about? Um, Corinth was one of the largest and most important ancient cities in Greece. The population was about 90,000 people, um, and it was making Corinth a hub uh, for trading and activity. And as you probably know, the Greeks were deeply embedded in worshiping different gods. Um, Part of the worship of these gods was to share meals and feasts as part of their worship. And these parties and these feasts uh, would have lots and lots of wine. And then towards the end of this feast, um, while everyone was drunk, they would bring in prostitutes and hired sex slaves. And what would happen is this, there would be this casual sex. And in this manner, it was common within Greek culture. This was just a normal thing. This is like for them going to um, Burger King. Like it was part of their worship of these different gods. And what Paul is addressing is there were Christians that were participating in these different rituals. And they, their argument was, well, my body desires this, so I just give my body what it desires. And Paul is saying that's not how this works. These Corinthians were ingrained into the culture but they had given their life to Jesus and they were using God's grace as a license to sin. But here's the thing, grace is not a license to sin. So when a person surrenders to the work of Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection, they are adopted into the family of God and they receive grace and forgiveness for their sin. They are also called to live in a way that honors God and not just themselves. And in Philippians, Paul says that the way that these people live is not not how they ought to live. And this is a life that leads to destruction. A life that is um, led by your desires. 
says their destiny, destruction. God is their stomach. Glory is in their shame. Mind is set on earthly things. So he's saying that their glory is in their shame. What, what does this mean? What he's saying is that their confidence, what they pride themselves on, is what they should actually be ashamed of. It's not good that the Judaizers required people to be circumcised to follow Jesus. It's not good that the antinomians were living by the desires of the flesh. And Paul warns them that this is sinful and their minds are set on what is on earth and in the now and not focused on what is above. And this text should cause us to reflect on our own walk with Jesus. This should cause us to evaluate the way that we view God's grace and how that works in our life. It should cause us to ask questions like, how do I view God's grace? Do I use his grace as an excuse to do what I want? When do I allow my selfish desires to drive my decisions? Is what I'm doing honoring to Jesus? Is the way that I'm living hindering someone from seeing who Jesus is? So why are these questions important? Uh, why are these uh, questions important for us to ask? Uh, because Paul will talk about the true believers and whom they belong to, why they are important to ask those questions. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our, lonely, our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So let me give you a short history of the Philippians. Um, Philippi was a Roman city. They were under uh, the rule and reign of Rome, even though they were far away from the city of Rome. I have a, a picture that I want to show you. You'll see on this right side, this is the city of Philippi, and that's where Rome is located. The Roman Empire, as you know from history, was massive. And so this was uh, miles and miles and miles away from the city of Rome. But yet they were controlled by Rome, and so therefore they were Roman citizens. Um, and because they were Roman citizens, there were certain perks that they received. Um, in theory, they had the right to vote, men, because it was a patriarchal society. So, in, in, like I said, in theory, not all of them really had the right to vote. But in theory, as a Roman citizen, you could vote. They would have the right to appeal charges in court and not be subject to um, severe consequences. They could never be crucified, uh, no matter how severe their offense was. Um, and these are just a few perks among a long list of perks that they, they had. Um, the Philippians were born into their citizenship in Rome. And with that citizenship, they would participate in certain things about that culture, way of living, and practices. Just like us, as U.S. citizens, we do things a certain way. We are awarded certain privileges because of our citizenship. Uh, we can do things that visitors to our country are, are unable to do. We are all born into this world and are citizens of this world as a whole. But here's the thing. This world is wrecked and broken by sin. We are broken and ruined by sin. But when people repent and surrender their life to Jesus, they receive salvation from their sins. And as John 3 says, they become part of the kingdom of heaven. They become part of the family of God. And when we become citizens of heaven, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says that we are a new creation. He says the old is gone and the new has come. 
So when we become a new creation, the Spirit of God indwells us and we become a temple of God. The Holy Spirit inside of the believer transforms our lives and our desires that are sinful into a life that honors God. William Barclay said it this way. He says, we have our home in heaven and here on earth we are a colony of heaven's citizens. Paul says, just as the Roman colonists never forgot that they belonged to Rome, you must never forget that you are a citizen of heaven and your conduct must match your citizenship. When you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, as Paul says in our text, verses 20 through 21, he says that we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they may be like his glorious body. We live in physical bodies for a time, but one day Jesus will return, and those who are true believers, those who have repented and surrendered their life to Jesus, a salvation by grace alone, nothing extra, they will be in heaven for eternity with God. And we anticipate that day as believers, but for now, we are foreigners on this earth seeking to make this work look more and this world look more and more like Jesus. And as a Christian, you are first a citizen of heaven before you are a citizen of this earth. I want to leave you with a big idea and then we're going to uh, talk through some small group questions. So surround yourself with people who strive to be more like Jesus and remember which kingdom you're a citizen of. So let's break off into our small groups, and we're going to talk through some questions that will help um, bring this maybe hopefully to a little bit more clarity and to a little bit more practical terms. Um, so the guys are in the back. Girls are in the front. Um, high school is on this side. Middle school is on this side. But here's the thing. You are in your new grades, okay? So you are moving up to your new small group. <laughs>